0: Hello, it's Brian, one of your hosts for Beyond Prisons, and I'm really excited to share today's episode with you all. I had a great conversation with Nabil Hussain, a technologist, organizer, and educator based in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Nabil has worked professionally as a software developer and a teacher in both public schools and private settings. But today, we're talking about his work with grassroots police and prison abolitionist campaigns in New York City, including Shut Down Rikers, abolition square and no new jails in new york city we talked about rikers in past episodes with five mualim ak and Nakeem Browder, and today we're returning to the campaign to close the jail complex and oppose new jail construction and expansion throughout the city Nabil talks about mayor bill de blasio's efforts to spend tens of billions of dollars on new jails at a time when money is desperately needed for housing education health care food and more we talk about what the plan for new so-called modern jails will and won't do about gentrification and broken windows policing. And the Nabil gives us an idea of what it's like inside the various community meetings held by city officials to promote the new jails and, allegedly, hear input from the public. Before we get to our discussion, I just wanted to remind people where they can find us. You can rate, review, and subscribe to Beyond Prisons on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter at beyond underscore prison and on Facebook at facebook.com slash beyond prisons podcast. And finally, if you appreciate our work and want to support our platform for abolitionist movements, please contribute what you can at patreon.com slash beyond prisons. If you can't give, don't sweat it. You can still help us out by telling your friends, family, and comrades about the show. We really appreciate the support. All right, that's all for now. Here's the episode. much for being here with me today, Nabil. Um, I wanted to just start off by having you introduce yourself and the No New Jails campaign and just sort of give people um, a sense of who you are and, and what the organization coalition does.
1: Sure. Well, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so my name is Nabil, uh, Nabil Hussain. Uh, I work in tech, I guess. Uh, so I guess I still do. I worked at uh as a programmer for some years and now i'm working mostly as a teacher uh, but i've also been doing some prison abolitionist work for some years uh, i don't get paid for it but it's work that i care a lot about um so yeah some years ago i guess in starting from 2015 into 2016 i was part of a campaign called shutdown rikers mm-hmm. uh, which called for shutting down rikers island with the construction of no new jails um, and that's kind of what led me uh, to this work, um, because th- uh, the New York City government, when they've been announcing this plan for the four new jails, uh, one in each borough of New York, except for Staten Island. Basically, the way that they're trying to justify it is by saying that new jails have to be constructed for Rutgers Island to be closed. Right. Um, something that I find like really offensive and upsetting, that any of the work that I did years ago could be kind of co-opted and turned around to basically just reinforce exactly what we were fighting against. Yeah. Um, so there was actually, in terms of, uh, I can give a little bit of background about the campaign from my you know, limited perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so back in March, the New York City government made an announcement that, to be honest now, I don't even remember exactly what they announced, but it was basically a hint that this plan was coming. Um, but the actual plan for these proposed four new jails was actually just released in August. So only three months ago. And they're actually trying to break ground on the construction of these new jails um, this coming summer. So like less than a year after they announced the plan. Uh, and the process is really like like a little bullshit. Like they, there's really no discussion of the larger systems of incarceration and policing. Like the whole process is about the environmental impact and the land use policies and this kind of thing. Um, and there's no discussion of like, hey, like maybe the NYPD should stop arresting so many people in the first place since that's how people get into the system. And that's how decarceration would happen by having fewer people cycled into the system in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, Or like the responsibility of judges and district attorneys who are setting bail that they know full well that people can't afford. Um, So when this plan came out in August, uh, I I had already been kind of had my eyes on this for for some while, but I didn't really see a lot of public discussion about it. Um, One of the only groups uh, that I did see discussing it was critical resistance. Um, so I reached out to them. I'm not a member of critical resistance, but I've I've known and respected their work uh, for a while. Uh, so I reached out to some of them and, and met with some of their members. And uh, we organized a meeting, which happened uh, in September. And at first we didn't really know who was gonna come, how many people were gonna come, um, but actually a lot more people did come to the meeting um, than I personally expected, which, which was great. It was a very good surprise. Um, and so the first the first thing that we did as the No New Jails campaign was intervene at four hearings that the city government held mm. uh, as part of the environmental review process, which is kind of the first step of the whole land use process that's going on now. Uh, so th- there was one meeting in each of the boroughs uh, for each jail that they're proposing to build, one in Manhattan. Uh, well, the first one was in Brooklyn, then in Queens, then in Manhattan, and finally in the Bronx at the beginning of October. Uh, and we we made a really strong intervention at these hearings. Um, we had many of our members testify against the plan. We made a lot of contacts uh, with local community members who were also against the plan and hadn't, some of them, yeah, hadn't really heard um, really anything about prison abolition before. I, I think some of them didn't even have any idea that you could be both for closing Rikers Island and against the city's plan. So I'm really glad that, right. yeah, So I'm really glad that we went out and like, you know, made that clear to people that you can actually support both, which is what our campaign supports um and then yeah so that first part of the the city's process uh concluded and now uh we're basically waiting for them to release some kind of environmental impact statement and start basically the clock ticking on the euler process the uniform land use review process Mm -hmm. um so again like their whole process is like not actually geared at all to the actual, you know, needs and concerns of the communities, like black communities and other working class communities of color uh, that would be affected by this plan. Right. And that's one of the main things that we're trying to highlight, like in our own events and in our own communications is the way that, um, yeah, I mean, well, there's, there's a lot to highlight. I mean, that, that's one part of it is uh, the way that this whole jail plan is totally caught up with larger systems of incarceration and policing and surveillance um, that the city is, is, deliberately sidestepping and avoiding and, and not addressing as part of right. this plan, as well as just the um, the longer history of basically prison reform being a way of of just further like entrenching prisons in general.
0: Right. Yeah, I definitely want to get into that. Um, and I also, you know, I, I think it would be really great if you could sort of talk about the experience of these meetings and and who attends them and, and what goes down in them. Um, mm-hmm. But before we get to that, you know, I wondered if you could just talk about because, I, you know, you mentioned like, uh, you know, for a lot of people, it was their first sort of interaction with uh, abolitionist ideas. And people didn't know that you could be against closing. You could support closing Rikers and be against new jails. And I think it's interesting, like having watched this this movement over the last several years, um, how things have sort of morphed and changed over time because. You know, it went from, uh, you know, it went from some people talking, you know, beginning to talk about we need to close Rikers Island and city officials and, you know, even I think a lot of sort of like prison reform, uh, sympathetic liberals were like, that's pie in the sky, that's never going to happen. The mayor said it was a a novel idea. Um, And then it sort of became, you know, there was a lot of of work done on behalf of you and other people, um, you know, that has to be recognized. to, to sort of break through with that um, idea that that Rikers Island had to go, but after that, you know, other things started happening. You know there and basically, I think you know the situation with Rikers Island is really uh, an amazing symbol of the tension between like reform and abolition and nonprofits and elites versus like the community. so, I was wondering, you know, you said to me uh, earlier, you know, that you um, had some past experience working with shutdown Rikers, um, and I was wondering if you could just sort of give people an overview of, uh, at least from your perspective, like how things have changed over time, um, and just and and sort of one thing that I wanted to get your feelings on specifically um, is how you know is like the role of, of JLUSA Just Leadership. And how sort of um, the, the deposing of Glenn Martin for sexual abuse allegations um, kind of, if at all, if you felt like it sort of changed the dynamic of things. Um, so kind of a broad question, but does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah. If so I can give a little bit more background about um, that work. Um, so, yeah, in 2015, I was part of a group called Millions March NYC. Um, So people who live in New York might remember um, the original Millions March, which was held on December 13th, 2014. Uh, So I was not one of the organizers of that personally, um, but I later joined the group in 2015 that did organize it. Uh, And we did a lot of other work in the Movement for Black Lives at that time, uh, supporting the family members of uh, several people, uh, several black people who had been murdered by police. Uh, We organized a number of street protests. um, But by the time it had gotten, you know, maybe halfway through 2015, um, we were starting to just, you know, we, we were starting to get a little bit down on some of the stuff that, that we had been doing and kind of studying history a little bit more deeply and, and kind of reflecting that, you know, it's like, okay, the the police murder another black person and then we go out to the streets and protest and then they do it again and then we do it again. Mm-hmm. And it was like, this could go on indefinitely. And, and we, we really felt a need um, to set like a larger strategic objective and, and actually start to like, you know, reverse some of these systems. Um, and, and that was, uh, it, it was these discussions that we were having within our group and with other activist groups that we were working with, um, that led to the campaign, the shutdown Rikers. Um, so that started, I couldn't give an exact date, but it, I want to say it started sometime at the, the second half of 2015. Right. Um, and so we were working, uh, notably with, uh, Akeem Browder, Cleef uh, Browder's brother, you know, Kalief Browder, of course, being um, one of the most famous symbols of like, you know, just the terrible injustice of, you know, the so-called justice system in New York specifically, as well as across the United States. Um, and yeah, we, we, we were, you know, we started doing a lot of different activities, community outreach and, and tabling and, you know, just trying trying to build this campaign in 2015 and so this was this was some while before the Closed Rikers campaign started in 2016. Right. And one of the most notable differences between our two campaigns, uh, and this is something that we spoke about publicly at the time, um, was the fact that our campaign always called for shutting down Rikers Island with the construction of no new jails, um, whereas Closed Rikers really took a very ambiguous uh, position. Um, I don't think, for the most part, you know, they they didn't come out saying like, oh yeah, we totally support new jails. We love jail construction. Like that wasn't the kind of position that, you know, that they wanted to take publicly. Um, but the contrast to us at least was very striking, although it might not have been so obvious to people who weren't, you know, as deep in the work uh, as we were. Um, so I think a lot of our uh, research and materials, including some of one of my comrades' visual designs were kind of, um, you know, borrowed by the close records campaign. Um and I mean it's a long story, but uh our campaign fell apart due to various internal difficulties in two thousand um, and sixteen um and at that time, millions March n y c went on to doing some some other work including the uh, abolition square occupation of city hall park um but I guess to keep the focus on, on Rikers and on uh on and on new jails specifically um, yeah, i mean, i think I, I don't know how much. Yeah, I'm not sure how much change I've actually seen from Just Leadership USA after Glenn Martin was removed from the organization. Um, I mean, I think, I don't know. I mean, yeah, like, I don't know.
0: You know, I I think maybe just to clarify, like, I I feel like, um, you know, focusing on this dichotomy, basically, of the people who are explicit about the no no new jail construction. And then on the other hand, you have sort of like non, non-profit and like donor-backed large organizations who are sitting down, you know, really behind closed doors and hashing out plans with city uh, officials and law enforcement as sort of like a compromise. And I'm wondering, like, if, um, you know, when all of that stuff went down with just, you know, and just leadership was very much like the face of that side of it. Right. And mm-hmm. I just wondered like, has that changed since then? Has it broken down? Like, is, I guess in a way in that arrangement, like it felt to me as an observer, as though through just leadership, this city was sort of taking the leading role on, on saying like how this was going to go down through the guise of like, you know, a nonprofit, like, "Quote unquote community organization," and I'm just wondering now if, like, once that happened, like, has that changed at all? Like, is the city more blatantly sort of leading this charge now? Um, you know, has has just leadership role in this changed at all from your perspective? Like, it sounds like you're saying that, like, really not much has changed since then, and I was just sort of wondering, you know, you know, if that was the
1: case yeah 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 i mean i think I don't think too much has really changed with their with their leadership i mean i think i think the leadership i mean it's a hierarchical organization where you know like you said, you right. know they, they they are funded by wealthy donors um and yeah i th- i think the leadership is, is very much um like entangled with uh the city government uh i, I think that the leadership does support this plan. I don't think that's true of the membership as a whole. Like, I mean, just mm-hmm. leadership does have a base of formerly incarcerated people, and their positions are very different, I think. Uh, I mean, even at the hearings, um, at, at the four city hearings that No Jails and organizations attended and intervened at, it was actually very striking to observe um, really just how all over the place the political positions of, uh, like, the grassroots members of just leadership were, right. Uh, I mean, there were some of their members who were literally saying the same stuff as we were. They were saying shut down records and no new jails, and then we're like, yeah, clapping, supporting them. They're supporting us, you know, really good. Others of their members are saying, no, we have to build these new jails. This is the only way that records is ever going to be closed. And then obviously we don't agree with that. Uh, and then you had even you know even yet others of their members. Uh, who managed to go up and and speak at at these hearings for several minutes without ever actually even mentioning the new jails at all. And just saying, speaking, in some cases, actually giving very important testimony about their experiences on Rikers, uh, about issues in the community, um, but not actually addressing, you know, the reason that the hearings were being held in the first place. Like, I think, again, um, kind of walking like an ambiguous line deliberately. And so, like, I I think, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know that much about just leadership's internal organization really uh, i mean i i do know some of their members uh, who i like and and respect quite a bit and then others of the members obviously who are supporting new jails i obviously you know don't agree with or, or really you know want to associate with right um and so yeah like I, mean, I think in terms of of the of the position of the of the organization as a whole like i mean my my impression is that is that like the the leadership of the organization does support um, this plan and like does support the city government and is very much um, caught up with um, the politicians um, who who are leading this. Um, but I, ultimately, I do think it is the politicians, it's the city government, it's the uh, Blasio, it's the mayor's office, it's the New York City Council right. uh, who are like really the ones um, who are pushing this plan. Right.
0: Um. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> it's interesting the point you brought up about how you know among their membership and in sort of the ambiguous statements that are being made, you know, there's, there's kind of this, this issue that I see play out in larger or like other sort of the lack of a better term prison reform conversations around sort of incrementalism and this idea that like, you know, Oh, we need to make compromises here and compromises there, but there's no sort of long-term vision here. And that's what I really appreciate about the work that you guys, that you all do um, is that, you know, from the get go, it's explicit about where this is going, the lines that you're drawing, and you're explicit about the goal of decarceration, right? Whereas like the rest of this is kind of wishy washy, and then can be sort of like wielded to whatever ends people want it to be right. So like, for one of these, for me, you know, looking at this, you know, I it struck me how, how the the rhetoric and the issues and, and the framing of them have, have been uh, co-opted and framed uh, to benefit the ends of, of in enhancing the carceral state, you know, so like the way that people talk about these new jails, oh, you know, they're going to be cleaner, more daylight, uh, you know, they're going to be closer to home. I mean, in some, I think I saw some plans, they want to like put stores in the first floor of these buildings. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be retail on the bottom floor. That's the plan. Retail on the bottom floor, and then cages, uh for the rest of like the high rise. You know, for these twenty-seven story buildings in Queens right. or this forty-story building in Brooklyn. So um, can
0: you, yeah, so so basically, what I wanted I wanted to get your your response to was like like that. Like, how do you respond to the way that this stuff is presented as harm reduction, as like good incrementalism and How do, can you explain how these new jails sort of reduce any net benefit of closing Rikers?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the most important response for us in the new jails is just to give some historical context to people for the fact that prison reform is as old as prisons and that pretty much all of these reform efforts have done nothing but further entrench prisons and jails. I mean, so first of all, uh, I mean, one of the things that you know, I imagine probably more of the people who listen to this podcast are familiar with compared to the general population, but it's probably still worth emphasizing, is first of all, just the fact that jails and prisons are actually quite recent and modern. They're actually not something that's been around for like hundreds or thousands of years. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were themselves um, created as a reform, right? Like even the notion of like penitentiary, it's like supposed to induce penitence among someone who had done some kind of wrong. But then even in the 1800s in the first half of the 1800s people were already recognizing that like these institutions were not rehabilitating or reforming anyone but were actually just causing more harm and more violence and then so people are like oh now we need to reform these institutions uh, and then you know i mean more harm and more violence just kept being done i mean there there's a lot of there's a lot more of this history than i can you know probably say right in this moment uh, sure. but i, I think a, a few like highlights maybe that um, I mean, of, of course, like with the the supposed abolition of slavery after what's called the U.S. Uh, Civil War, when when my ancestors um, freed themselves, really from slavery, were not freed by the Union, but freed themselves by taking up arms and and engaging in struggle. Uh, and the way that um, convict leasing and and the and penitentiaries and, and prisons um, were basically used to to reenslave people, which is you know still what's going on in prisons now. Uh, I mean, this itself was basically one of these reforms um and then like even talking about Rikers Island specifically like Rikers Island itself was supposed to be like the most modern reformed you know rehabilitative um jail at the time Uh, like in, in in the 1930s when um when it was opened like it was actually unveiled like to an audience of of social workers. Like social workers were the people who, you know, were in the audience clapping, like, yeah, Rikers Island is gonna be so much better than what was going on in New York um before this. Like I'm I'm actually looking at some of the research that uh the research group within No new also has put together. So the Department of Correction unveiled the plan for Rikers Island in 1930, uh, in front of social workers, and then in 1931, they hailed at that time Rikers Island hadn't been built yet, but they hailed the proposed jail as the most modern institution of its kind in the country with glass windows, modern plumbing, lighting in every cell, psychiatric facilities, medical facilities, dignified architecture, vocational and educational programs, you know, so on and so forth about yeah. how Records Island is going to be so much better than what happened before. And if That's we so look hard. at... Um, <laughs> Yeah, like exactly. If we look at what they're saying with the plan now, it's, 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 it's literally a rehash. They might, I doubt that they actually literally did this, but they might have like literally just opened up, um, those old presentations from the thirties and it's like, they're, they're literally putting out the same exact thing now.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it's incredible how it just sort of reproduces itself, you know, Mm -hmm. over and over. And I guess, you know, For me, you know, part of this, too, especially reflecting on how how this has all played out, especially over, like, the last decade, you know, like, for me, um, my introduction to uh, a lot of what was happening on Rikers Island, and really, for me, it was, like, very radicalizing to watch the conversation around Rikers Island and what was happening sort of in the early, like, 2010 through, like, 2013. You know, it was very explicit that, like, it wasn't just the buildings at Rikers Island that were the issue. It was the department of corrections. It was Horizon, yeah. who was the healthcare contractor at the time. It was <clears throat> the lack of really any oversight. And I mean, that's just outside of the, you know, the, the basic issues and problems of a carceral approach, obviously. Right. But I'm just saying like, it was clear who was doing the harm. You know and like how these things were going and now i feel like the conversation has been about the facilities right and about their proximity to these communities and about everything but the department of corrections and i was just wondering if like you have the same impression about sort of the role and the culpability and sort of like keeping the spotlight on the doc has that like fallen away are there any plans at all really to like do anything to rein in the doc as part of these plans for new jails. It just seems like nice new buildings, faster processing through the system, but like still the same people and the same leadership. And the, you know what I mean? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I have very much the same impression. Um, so, I mean, I think keeping the focus on the Department of Correction is very important. Like when we unveiled our, our shutdown reckless campaign, we actually did it at a Board of Correction meeting. Um, like Mm -hmm. we went to their meeting with our, with our banners and we're like, Hey, you know, y'all are the ones who are responsible for this, for this terrible state. And it's worth highlighting the fact that, um, I mean, Rutgers Island is not the only, I mean, first of all, Rutgers Island is like, what, 10 jail. It's like a bunch of jails. Right. Um, and like, besides these jails on Rutgers Island and like the floating jail, the barge and all this, like, there are also jails that are already in the boroughs. There's already the Brooklyn detention center. There's already the tombs and like these jails are also terrible there there are terrible reports that come out of these facilities all the time about like the abuse that incarcerated people are suffering at the hands of uh of corrections officers and there's no there's there's absolutely no reason to believe that any of that will be any different um if people are, are still being held in cages that are just in the boroughs rather than on rikers island you know like i don't know i think about this all the time like i live in brooklyn Uh, I mostly bike like I'm always so the Brooklyn Detention Center is uh, on Atlantic and Smith, which is um, like an intersection that I pass by all the time. It's one of the main bike routes. It's a very like crowded, you know, part of downtown Brooklyn. It's already this huge, you know, terrible looking nine story jail that all these terrible things are already happening at now at the hands of the same people who are doing all these terrible things on Rikers Island. And I'm just out here like, you know, I really don't want to be out here in 10 years or 20 years or whenever it is out here protesting in front of, of this new 40 story jail instead of a nine story jail about right. how terrible all these things that are happening. We already know it's going to be terrible now, you know, like now is the time for us to put a stop to this because we already know that the department of correction is going to be doing the same stuff in the future that they're doing now. if We don't stop them.
0: Right. So would you say like in the absence of this stuff and like with the focus really just being about, uh, you know, new facilities and, and expanding and updating facilities do you think that this is kind of like a gentrification of, of jail and like, a, or like a perpetuation basically of the gentrification going on in New York city and a perpetuation of broken windows policing instead of in any way, like a remedy for it. Like, how do you see, cause I know that, you know, like you said, like this campaign is about more than just Rikers, right? Like it is about broken windows policing and about inputs into this system as a whole and about investment in communities uh, or lack thereof. Um, so, do you see basically this reform as like a perpetuation of of those things?
1: Definitely. Yeah. I mean, th- there's a very close link, and I'm glad that you raised that. Like, there, there's there's a very close link between policing and gentrification. That, like, for me, living in Crown Heights, for example, it's actually uh, it's actually surprisingly easy to observe um, like the ways that the police um, move, like in, in terms of like where the police are, are stationed. Uh, in terms of like where you see foot patrols of of officers, uh, according to basically like, um, like the like the comfort of the new people, mostly white people who are who are moving into neighborhoods like Crown Heights, uh, oh. and and you know who rely basically on the police to collect, to protect them from you know scary black people or or whatever else that they're afraid of, um, like these, yeah, like the, these facilities. I mean. I mean if you actually look at like the the city's materials like their, their propaganda for for these for these new cages um, they, they literally have stuff like you know a jail as a good neighbor and and just like really oh just God. absurd and, and offensive uh, and offensive slogans like this as kind of like what they're, what they're pushing you know and like like you were mentioning earlier you know they want to have retail and make this like the most you know <laughs> like I really don't know what they're thinking with, with some of this
0: Um wow. I don't know. I mean, part of me, when I, especially the, just like the specific thing about the retail, I, it just strikes me as a way to like even further disappear the people, you know what I mean? Because like they're already disappearing people into these jails. Right. Uh, But like you said, like we, like Atlantic Avenue, you can see this jail It's, it's huge and it's like right by like a major subway station. You know what I mean? It's like, right in the heart of downtown brooklyn you know if you if you're basically even hiding the fact that a jail is there isn't this just like a further disappearance Mm -hmm. uh, of people rather than like anything i mean like a jail is a good neighbor um i mean so i don't know if you if you want to respond to that at all but it does lead to another point that i that i wanted to give you some space to talk about which is that um you know a stupid critique that's often lobbed at abolitionism is that oh, you just want to close the jails and you just want to close the prisons, when obviously, that's not that's not the whole campaign, right? Like, you're also Mm -hmm. calling for like taking that money and investing it in other places. Can you talk about that aspect of this campaign at all? And whether or not uh, any of that has been listened to by the people who are driving de Blasio's campaign? Is that incorporated anywhere in there?
1: Yeah. So yeah, it's worth highlighting that according to the city's own um, budgeting, which I have no reason to believe is accurate, but like according to their own budgeting, they're saying that they're going to need $10 billion uh, to build these jails. And one of the things that we want to ask the community, like at our, for example, we have our first public event coming up on Sunday, December 2nd. One of the things that we want to ask the community is like, what would you spend $10 billion on if you were the one who were, who was controlling it instead of these people? Right. Um,
0: and like, I mean, it's probably going to go way over budget, like every definitely. other project that the city embarks on. So really, it's like, what would you spend, I don't know, 20, 50 billion dollars on,
1: you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and that's exactly what we that like. That's exactly what we like organizers at the no New Jails want to want to be engaging with with our communities uh, across the city about is, is like, you know, what are, the, what are the real needs of our communities like for education, for jobs, for transit? You know, the MTA is a disaster for healthcare, including mental healthcare. Like what, what are the real needs that our communities actually need to have money spent on rather than just more police, right? Like, of course, this is, this is you know, a few years ago, um, the New York City Council voted to spend what was it? $100 hundred million or one hundred seventy million dollars, increasing the NYPD by thirteen hundred cops. So like thirty six thousand yeah. cops wasn't enough. They were like, we need thirty seven thousand three hundred cops, and we we need to spend even more money in in the budget on this. And and then and these are like the financial, you know, and organizational and political priorities that we see from the so called, you know, liberal quote unquote progressive Democrats in New York City uh, that that run that run the city government is that they right. they constantly Want to spend more money increasing um, the size and the scope and the reach of the carceral state, uh, and we're against all of that. Like it's much bigger than 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 these jails. Like we we, so, I mean, there are some organizers uh, like me. Like I've, I've been doing this kind of work for a few years. There there are many other organizers who have much more experience than me. They've been doing this kind of work for much longer. Um, there are other organizers who who are new, who are who are getting into this work for the for the first time, mm-hmm. and but like. I guess regardless of like, you know, the different experiences that we have or the, the different communities that we come from, like, I think that's something that definitely unites all of us is, is our belief in a different state, a different future for our communities and for our city. Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's unconscionable to me, even, I mean, just one prong of this being the number of people who are without home or shelter or who are living, you know, with other people because they don't have their own Mm -hmm. Uh, access to housing and shelter and who you are talking about like you said taking a nine-story jail and making it a 40-story jail and spending all this money on police uh you know so yeah yeah.
1: there was there was was one community member in the Bronx I don't don't actually know who this person was but they, they at the last hearing on October 3rd at the Bronx County Courthouse they were saying this is basically the only housing plan that the de Blasio administration has come up with. I was clapping so loud. I was like, that's right. Tell them, like, say that, you know, like that's, true. that's just facts.
0: It's absolutely true. And I mean, you know, like you said, when you said, uh, you know, it's not even just about these new jails. I mean, it's also, I think, uh, you know, I don't remember if it's in de Blasio's plan or in the Lippmann commission, or maybe it's both, but you know, they're also talking about expanding, like, electronic monitoring and pretrial surveillance services, like, in people's homes and communities. And, you know, that, to me, strike that also strikes me as sort of, like, a perpetuation and, like, a, a metamorphosis of a lot of this stuff. I don't know if you had anything to say about that aspect of this um, as well and, and if it fits into the No New Jails campaign.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean – So, I mean, our campaign is only two months old. We haven't even had time to discuss all the aspects of it. Like we've had a few, there's been, there's been, there has been some discussion of this um, within our campaign. Um, Like I I, I was chatting with a few of the other organizers about the, the op-ed that Michelle Alexander published, I guess, last week or two weeks ago in the New York times about uh, what she and others have called e-carceration, which I think is a very on point name and descriptor of, of the ways um, that the, the surveillance and the carceral state it, it. Reaches beyond the walls of jails and prisons, out into the broader communities. I mean, of course, like right, like when when people are are incarcerated and then they're sub- they're subjected to the most you know strict and invasive surveillance of all of their communications with their loved ones on the outside. Of course, that has enormous impact on the on those loved ones and on their lives of a lot of people uh, who care about people on the inside and, and who are communicating with them. Like, of of course that that surveillance also affects them or, or like, yeah, when, when people are supposed to be wearing these ankle bracelets or whatever to, to monitor their movements. um, Yeah. It's, it's also another way of basically turning our communities into jails and prisons, even more than they already have been in the past. And I I think like this whole thing about like, Oh, you know, we, you know, we're going to end the isolation of Rikers Island and we're going to have a jail as a good neighbor. We're going to bring, basically we're going to bring jails into the communities, you know, I mean, there are definitely some very racist and, and and bad and problematic reactions that we've seen like at these hearings and on other occasions from people, basically not in my backyard folks who are saying, you know, a lot of, a lot of racist things like, you know, keep those, those scary, bad criminals away from us, away from our neighborhood, away from our middle-class property values or, or whatever it is. Right. Um, But like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like the, the, I, I just can't see like, the idea that we're we're gonna bring jails closer to home as any sort of solution to 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 the problems and to the to the racism and, and to the oppression that that is caused by incarceration like that that that's ridiculous like there's no way that that could be a solution to these problems
0: right um switching gears a little bit I you know I I, I believe you've attended <clears throat> some of these meetings in the community you said and I. You know, I had um, Ash J. Ashoka Jaguru uh, wrote something for my website, Shadowproof, about one of these meetings. Um, I believe it was in Brooklyn. And I, I just, it it just is astounding to me, like the way they're set up and how they go down and like the way that, uh, you know, who's given the mic and who is actively refused the mic and things like that. And I just, you know, who's sitting on stage with city officials. I just was wondering if you wanted to sort of like, paint that picture for people, like, what are these, you know, so, so-called, like, community, you know, f- I guess, like, feedback sessions about these plans actually, like, uh, and how are, how responsive are they to sort of your, your demands and the things that you're saying during these meetings?
1: Yeah, yeah, so I actually did all four of the hearings in each borough. I was late to all of them because I, I work in the evening, um, but I was present at all four meetings, and I, I can, I can paint at least some of the picture um so the first meeting was held in brooklyn uh the first meeting was probably the least terrible i think uh so the first meeting was held at a school so you were actually able to at least just like walk in without metal detectors and things like that which you had to submit to a search in order to even enter the space at all three of the other meetings wow um yeah like so yeah, I mean, obviously not a welcoming environment for for people who, no. I mean, really for anyone, and especially not for people who, you know, who are, who are the most affected and impacted by these systems. Um, so I wasn't there at the beginning, um, but I understand uh, Stephen Levin, who is the uh, city council member for the district in Brooklyn, um, that this proposed jail, uh, that, that they want to build it. Um, I understand he was like heckled and booed for his support of uh, for his support of the jail uh, at this meeting. Um, so the, the city will, at each of these meetings, they had like their they had some presentations actually by Perkins Eastman. Perkins Eastman is the uh, the architecture firm that designed the uh, that that that's designed the, these you know proposed buildings. Um, so at each of these meetings, like the city has like their presentation at the beginning where they talk, and then Perkins Eastman's talks. Uh, which I missed because again because I, I was late to all these meetings, mm-hmm. um, but that so that happened, and then after that they opened up the mic for public input, uh, and so the public input um, you only get three minutes to talk. Um, you're supposed to you're supposed to like like I was mentioning at the beginning about how this process is really about environmental review and land use and so forth. You're you're supposed to restrict your comments to that, and they're like comments that are not pertinent to whatever are going to be stricken from the record so it's it's really not a way to get you know any genuine public input about the plan as a whole they're re- they're really trying to restrict the city government is really trying to restrict um mm-hmm. people's words to um you know to what they want to talk about as opposed to what our communities actually care about right um so yeah so there was definitely a lot of a lot of tension in 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 all these rooms um like i think Uh, I I think there was really actually a a clear pattern of escalation throughout the hearings. So in the second week, so the the first meeting in Brooklyn was held on on Thursday, which was September 20th. And then the following week, there were two hearings, first one in Queens on Wednesday, and then another one in Manhattan uh, the following day. So the one in Queens was a really terrible experience. Um, So the one at Queens, it was held at Queensborough Hall, um, which, like I mentioned, you had to submit to a metal detector and a search uh, in order to enter the space at all. Um, once, once, once I got in, by the time I got in personally, like there's, you know, there's like a line and everything, but by the time I I got in uh, and I live in Brooklyn, I work in Manhattan, it was a far journey. By the time I got in, um, the city's presentation had already ended and they were just getting started with, um, the public, like the, the public comment period of the meeting. Uh, so the first two speakers were like, I think they were like a cop and a CEO or like an ex cop and a CEO. They're basically out like. Spitting a lot of racist rhetoric about like keep Rikers Island open, keep those criminals away from our middle class property values here in Kew Gardens, Queens, which is a neighborhood um, that the Queens jail is supposed to be built in. A lot of um, like really racist and reactionary and offensive rhetoric, um, you know, a lot and a lot of the people who came out to speak in Queens were supporting it. They were they were clapping, they were, you know, they were cheering, you know, of course, I'm in the back booing, um, you know, and, and a number of our other members were also, you know, expressing their opposition. Um, but a lot of the people who, who came out to the meeting were very much in support of, of this kind of, of sentiment. Mm. Um, so there were two members of uh, an organization called DRUM, the Destiny's Rising Up Movement, uh, which, which is a progressive South Asian organization in Queens. I, I couldn't tell you that much about them, but their members' okay. testimony uh, was really good. Um, they were speaking about uh, their opposition to the jails not primarily based on, you know, like the physical location in this neighborhood or that neighborhood, but, all, but you know, actually speaking about their opposition um, to incarceration and the need for the city to come up with a different plan and a different future um, for Queens and, and for for New York as a whole. And a lot of people, uh, the same people who, you know, were were cheering on, um, you know, the two racist speakers before them were, were booing these speakers and heckling them. And, you know, I started getting into an argument with some people in the back. Uh, it, was, it was definitely a very, a very tense scene with, you know, a lot of um you know like court security or whatever court marshals i don't even know which you know type of cop like which flavor organization of cop they were that were um that were there but you know they're all there they're armed you know just trying to intimidate people right uh, it, it was really a bad scene uh, and many of our members did like many of our members spoke i also spoke in queens um but uh many many of us didn't have the chance to speak until later uh i mean i have no idea what the actual procedure was for deciding who's going to speak at what time i think it was supposed to be first come first served but it's like i don't know it's like i mean who knows like who's actually up there in the front like putting the index cards or whatever in order you know Uh, i mean there's no real transparency or accountability to any of these processes Uh, and i think that was very much on display also the next day at the third hearing in manhattan um, in chinatown so this again was held at uh in this case it was the manhattan the Manhattan Municipal Building, so another space where you had to submit to a metal detector and all that to enter. Uh, And this was before I got there. So I was very late to this meeting because I just work later on Thursdays. Um, But I understand uh, Then there's documentation of this online also, um, as well as many people who were present who could testify to the fact that they were actually locking the doors and and physically keeping people out and not allowing them to enter the building, saying that, like, hey, the room is full. Meanwhile, some of our other members were in the room and looking around like, hey, like half of these chairs are actually empty. Let them in. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so it it, again, I wasn't there for this myself, but I understand it became uh, a whole scene with um, people basically chanting and disrupting the meeting, saying we're not going to allow like this nonsense, you know, garbage bullshit proceeding to occur while while like this is supposed to be a public input meeting. And you're you're deliberately excluding the public from even entering the space, let alone speaking. Right. So there was a lot of this that was going on. Uh, Besides that, in in Chinatown, much like in Queens, there were definitely a number of um, not-in-my-backyard type of folks who are not really opposed to incarceration in any principled way, but they just don't want a jail uh, that would be close to them. Right. Uh, And again, there were many of these people um, who were making either veiled or open racist remarks, um, which of course our members oppose. there were some There were some. Some people who were organizing with us, including notably some members of the Black Youth Project 100, who uh, had their testimony and they wanted to speak to this. But by the time that they actually had a chance to speak, it was after 9 p.m. And many people in the room had to go home, you know, and put their kids to bed or get ready for work the next day or whatever. Um, and they actually like took a break. They're like, we're going to take a little break. And then, of course, many people left the room during the break before many of our, our members got a chance to speak. Right. Um, and so again, I view all these tactics as very deliberate silencing tactics by the New York City government. Um, the last hearing in the Bronx, in some ways, might have been the worst, although in other ways, it was the best. Um, so it was it was held at the Bronx County Courthouse. So in terms of the space, it was the worst. Um, again, metal detectors, cops, CEOs, court marshals, et cetera, to enter. Um, but like the Bronx in was turned the out courthouse like, too. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, that right. courthouse like. I mean, first of all, the acoustics were terrible. It was very difficult to actually hear what anyone was saying on the mic. Uh, there's a bunch of racist murals on the wall, basically, like, depicting, right. like, settler pioneer types and, like, heroic poses, while, meanwhile, black people are shown in slaves and, like, native, you know, indigenous people are shown, like, you know, as, you know, depicted as, like, you know, primitive and backwards people. Like, the, the, this, is, this is the physical, you know, space where, where this event right. is occurring. a pretty charged location for yeah. a meeting like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then, uh, like the the community response though was great. Uh, the community response in the in the in the Bronx, like there were, I mean, people were upset and mad, you know, as well they should be, uh, at this terrible plan. Um, so this was actually the only hearing where I was where I managed to arrive early enough to actually be present for the presentation by the city and by Perkins Eastman at the beginning. Um, and you literally couldn't hear a word they were saying. The entire room was just. Channing, shouting, booing them, like, Hmm. like, you could tell the community, like, was fed up already knew that the city was trying to pull one over on them was not fooled Was not having it. Um, So that that was actually that was really great and really heartening and really inspiring to see so many people show up to do that, despite the city doing everything possible to prevent us from, you know, from actually having it having any kind of real public input. Um, A lot of the testimonies both of our members and of other community members uh, were really great. Like I mentioned, the um, the person speaking about how these jails were the only housing plan of the de Blasio administration earlier. Um, one of the members of Noni Jails, uh, who's formerly incarcerated, spoke about her experiences on Rikers Island and how it led her to uh, oppose this plan. Um, yeah, so like, I think the community response was really beautiful and really heartening. Um, but basically, like, there were so many barriers and setbacks that the city deliberately uh, set up to, to try to prevent that. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't successful by the city, but I definitely view that as a deliberate plan by the city to like put it, put like a, a thin veneer of like public input or democracy or whatever on a plan yeah. that they cooked up without our communities and are presenting to us as a done deal, even though it's not a done deal. And I actually think that we are going to stop it.
0: Um, You know, kind of sort of jumping off of that, I was wondering, you know, one sort of fear that I've had from the very beginning, especially once You know, it was it was great when the closing Rikers part of the conversation finally broke through, but um, you know, especially once the new jails part of it started to creep in, I had this sort of lingering fear that maybe they would sort of expand and build these new facilities, and then somehow, in some capacity, leave Rikers Island open. Definitely, Um, and I and I know that there's been like a couple times where like De Blasio. In, in public statements and in, in the way things have, phrased it, have been phrased, there's sort of been like the door left open a little bit there. And I, I was just wondering if that was something that you all saw as well and if there's anything you wanted to say about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that, that's actually one of the main points that I made in my own public testimony in Queens and in the Bronx. I, I definitely think that that's a strong possibility, if not a deliberate like scheme by the city. Um, mm. So there's a few things that are worth highlighting in this regard. Um. Uh, so first of all, there's there are some facilities on Rikers Island now that are empty, that could be demolished if the city was actually committing to a future of decarceration, but they're not doing that. And so it's like, well, why not? Um, I mean, like I mentioned before, the city government wants to break ground on these new jails, to, to start construction on these new jails this coming summer, 2019. Like, you know, less than a year from now, less than a year after they announced these plans. But meanwhile, they're saying that Rikers Island, they want to close it in 2027. So they want to already be building the jails next year, but they're not going to close Rikers for like, you know, another nine, ten years. Uh, the city government themselves acknowledge that closing Rikers Island requires uh, some approval uh, from Albany, from, from the state, from the New York state government, and that they, as the city government, are not actually able to guarantee the closing of Rikers Island. They've actually right. publicly acknowledged and admitted this themselves. Um, so I that, to me, that's 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 my biggest fear. Like to me, that's definitely the worst case outcome of all. Would be if they construct these new jails and then leave Rikers Island open. That would obviously represent a large expansion of um of the city's carceral capacity of of its of the number of cages that it has of its ability um to lock our futures in literally to a future of incarceration, uh, and. Yeah, I mean something that I've been saying. I, I said it at these public hearings when I spoke, and I, I said it years ago when I was working on the shutdown records campaign. Just a really simple slogan, but I believe it's true. If they build it, they will fill it. Yep. I don't really think it's that simple. If they build it, they will fill it. There is no Absolutely. reason to build jails and cages and all this capacity to hold people in cages, except that you're planning years and years in advance to do that, to to, to keep people in cages, to, to cage them, and like what what we're demanding in no new jails is that they need. To, to make a different plan that like that we need a different future for our communities than, than the one um, that de Blasio and Stephen Levin and Margaret Chin and Diana Ayala and Karen Kostowitz and all these other city council members are clearly imagining a future of of more of the same. Uh, so I definitely think that that's a, a very real po- I mean, you know, I mean, de Blasio is term limited. De Blasio is going to be out in 2021. So basically, that's the legacy that he's proposing to leave New York City. That's exactly what Mayor de Blasio is telling all of us right now in advance. De Blasio is saying, I want to be the mayor that left Rikers Island open and also put new jails under construction. It's like, we have no idea who, who the mayor is going to be in 2022 or in 2027 or in whenever it is, you know, but like, he he wants to be the one who who is already building these new jails, supposedly, you know, to be the progressive whatever. Um, but it's like he's not even going to be around to see this plan through, but he's in such a rush, to, you know, to ram it through and get it started uh, in the first place. And there's absolutely no guarantee. Like, as far as I'm concerned, you know, despite all the city's rhetoric um, about like, you know, these this these jails are for decarceration, which I think is ridiculous. Like how do you design a car for a facility like a jail for decarceration? That, that's <laughs> absurd. You, <don't. laughs> uh, but, you know, that, that's what they say, that they're going to build for decarceration. Um, but like, there, there's absolutely no guarantee. The city government has already said that they re- that they rely on the state, on Albany, to to actually be able to close records. But we want to go ahead and open these new jails uh, much sooner. Right. So I think. Um. Yeah. Like. I mean. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we've been talking for a while. I still think like there, there's so much there's so much wrong with this plan that like if we talk for another two hours, I still won't be able to get <laughs> through all. Of it. Um, but like. Yeah, to me that that's my biggest fear. And I think it's a very real possibility if 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 we organize um to, to stop them. That 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 they that they will um that they will build new jails and then leave records open.
0: Yeah. And I mean I think that <clears throat> you know what you're saying, especially about uh, you know, alluding to the fact that they need Albany to do it. And for me, like when when de Blasio said it would be 10 years and uh, you know, that's after he's termed out. I mean, that's a huge red flag because that's a sign that there there's no, uh, he's not going to hold himself accountable to this plan and he's not going out and advocating for it in the way that it would need to happen if he, you know, like if they needed Albany to do it, you would see him in Albany doing it, you know, um, <laughs> but that's not the case. And so, yeah, th- those are definitely red flags to me that this is, you know, an effort to punt that accountability on closing Rikers and what happens, uh, you know, over the next few years. Yeah.
1: Um, it's especially surprising uh, or maybe not surprising, but like, it's especially notable or like, yeah, I read flag, like you said that, because I mean the New York city, like the, these, these fake progressive Democrats in New York city, they, they love, they love to point to Albany and say, Albany is the reason for, you know, bail reform or speed trial or this reform or that reform. And in many cases it's true. I mean, Albany in many cases is, you know, the, you know the, the people who do have the power under the laws of New York State or whatever to do certain of these things, Um, but it's like I don't know. It, it like, yeah. I mean, they they love to talk about you know bail reform and speedy trial and all this. Like you know they love to say Khalif Browder's name over and over again and all this. Oh but like God. you don't you don't see you, like at least I I haven't heard nearly as much talk about that when it comes to Record Islands as I have on some of these other issues. And I, I think that's right. very suspicious to say the least. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I I don't want to keep you too much longer. I really, this has been a fantastic conversation and I appreciate your time and the work that you all are doing in New York. Um, I guess before, I have like two sort of like final questions that are are sort of brief and are about, you know, a little bit larger than the specific topic of Rikers Island. But before I switch to that, I just wanted to make sure, like, is there anything else about this campaign and your experiences and your thoughts on this that you want to share um, that we haven't talked about yet in this conversation, anything that you really want to impress upon listeners that you haven't gotten to?
1: Um, I mean, this is kind of going back to something that we did talk about earlier, but maybe I just want to reemphasize again, that like jail and prison reform is as old as prison. And if, if we don't actually, you know, see ourselves like, I mean, this is when, again, this is one of the things that, that I, I, and that I've said, and I'm not the first one to say it. I think critical resistance NYC, again, I give a lot of respect to that group. I think they're, they're the first ones, at least who I heard saying uh, the slogan uh, jail free NYC, which mm-hmm. is, I think, three very important words for us. as lo- Like for me, as a local organizer, especially like I'm not a national or an international organizer. I'm a local organizer. And so I am a I am a police and prison abolitionist who believes in the vision of a world without police and prisons. Um, but I think sometimes for people who have never heard of the concept of abolition before, that can feel a little bit too abstract or out there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very useful for us as local organizers um, to say jail free NYC and to ask people, what would that actually look like in your day to day life? You know, what would that look like in the New York city schools um, where there's 5,000 cops, there's 5,000 NYPD in the schools, which is twice mm-hmm. as many as the number of school counselors in the schools. And for us to just ask people, what would it look like to have schools where instead of cops, waiting to snatch people up and, and take them, you know, to the youth facility on, well, I guess now the youth facility is closing records now the youth facility in the Bronx, but, you know, instead of having, instead of having, you know, a bunch of cops ready to snatch people up, like what would it look like to actually have the resources that we need in our communities? Like, you know, if, if instead of having a bunch of NYPD lurking behind the turnstile waiting to snatch people up for not, not having 275 in their pocket, you know, to pay the fares for the terrible service that we have, you know, getting around the city, right. what would it look like for those resources to be invested in that, you know? And so I guess I just want to say that, like, that's where No New Jails is very explicit, that we are an abolitionist uh, group or network or campaign or coalition, um, that, like, that, that we do see ourselves as leading towards a jail-free NYC. And, that, um, and the reason that, that abolition is so important, not only as like an ideal or like a far-off goal, but as something that actually guides our work day-to-day is because of that historical understanding that we were speaking about earlier in this interview. Um, again, that jail and prison reform is the oldest prisons, and that if we don't actually end the systems as a whole, in another 200 years, we're going to have more of these, you know, liberal reformers talking about how we're going to, you know, reform this stuff again even more. I mean, right. there there are too many examples of this, like the transgender housing use on records or Rosies, the women's prison on records. All of these were touted as progressive reforms, and of course, the experiences of the people who are who are incarcerated at these facilities. It's still terrible. Like, like the prevalence of sexual assault and all kinds of terrible things on Rikers is, is what, double, triple the national average, which is already, you know, an appalling, you know, national disgrace and scandal of, of how high it is, you know, to to begin with. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. I, I just want to emphasize that, you know, no new jails. It, it, we're, we're working for a jail-free NYC. Uh, we're, we're an abolitionist group. Uh, and that's not just like a far-off ideal, but it, it actually governs, you know, the way that we make decisions and set goals and priorities on a day-to-day basis.
0: Great. Uh, And this sort of flows into um, my second to last question. My last question is I want you to tell people where they can find, you know, your work and and no new jails work and everything. But first, you know, we ask uh, all of our guests if they, and you sort of touched on it right there um, at the end, but we ask everybody to articulate for us, like what, does abolition mean to you because it doesn't mean the same thing to everybody necessarily you know we're talking about imagining a future um and i just wanted to know if you wanted to share to you what what abolition means
1: yeah um hmm. i mean to me abolition yeah it means a lot uh i mean abolition means it it, it means finding Alternative, like it, it, it means finding like ways for our communities to address harm without disposing of people, without 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 caging people, without um. Yeah, it 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 means that it means recognizing the ways that these systems, which are constantly sold to us, fed to us, propagandized to us, as um as being the ways to address harm. It, it means recognizing the ways that those systems only perpetuate and expand harm. And it, it, it means recognizing our responsibility to our communities um, to actually develop real systems that would actually address and, and reduce harm in a ways that the, that these, that these racist systems, you know, which of course have their, their legacy in slavery uh, you know, which, 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 which come from that. Like, yeah, I mean, these systems, they're, I mean, one of the, the main reasons I'm an abolitionist is because, again, like, these systems are not broken. Like, they, they were designed to be racist, and they work, you know? Like, right. and, and so abolition means, it means constructing new systems that are actually designed for something different, that are actually designed for, for a humane and a just world.
0: Thank you so much. Um, How can people catch up with uh, No New Jails? Um, I believe you mentioned to me over email, there's an event that you want to plug. I would love to give you some space to do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, again, we we, we spoke about the fact how our campaign got started to intervene in the city's hearings. And and we spoke at some length about how unwelcoming and and hostile and and actually like really just terrible in so many ways that these city hearings were. Um. So we in the New Jails are are right now getting ready our own first public event where we want to provide a very different type of space um, for us for some of us organizers to have a chance to speak to the community about our thoughts and our experiences, and for us to hear from the community about what are their ideas, uh, like what what have been their experiences with these systems, what are their ideas for how that for how those resources can be used instead uh, to hear about what people in our communities care about. So that event is going to be on Sunday, December second it's going to be at 3:30 p.m. at the People's Forum uh, which is a new space in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, the address is I think 3 yeah, let me look here. Yeah, the address is 320 West 37th Street, which is between 8th and, which is between 8th and 9th Avenues in Manhattan. Again, the the event is going to be at 3:30 p.m. on Sunday, December 2nd. Uh, and it's a community speak out about the, the the mayor's jail construction plan and the impact it's going to have on our communities. And uh, we're going to provide some of the updates about the work that we've been doing, about the research that we've already done um, about the plan. And we're going to have an open dialogue with the people who come out about what would the impact of this plan be, uh, what we could do to oppose it and and a different vision for New York City, a different vision for our communities and our future. We're going to have a lot of activities. Uh, We'll have like postcard writings. We're going to have like a storytelling booth. We're going to have like a vision board for people to share. Uh, It's an accessible space. Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, everyone's accessibility needs obviously are different, um, but the space is at least wheelchair accessible. We're going to be providing childcare and food, hopefully interpretation services. Um, So we have an event, right? Uh, I can send you that link um, and people can register and tell us more about what their needs are. We're going to do our, we're going to do our best. We're a volunteer run organization with, you know, no funding or institutional support, but we're gonna do the best that we can um, to accommodate everyone who wants to attend. Um, so I think if, if folks are able to come out on Sunday, December 2nd, I think this is gonna be a really beautiful event and a really beautiful space. Fantastic, we will definitely uh, include the link.
0: Um, Nabil, like I said, appreciate the work we do so much. Um, we're definitely sending our support and solidarity to you uh, and the campaign. And please let us know if there's anything we can do to help. Um, And thanks again for talking to me. Thank you so
1: much. I really appreciate this. All right. Take care. You too.